0: thank you for investing your time in a duncan's from the field podcast series we hope you are getting a ton of value from each episode today's podcast was pulled from a recent webinar with tom deans author of every family's business tom is a best-selling author speaker and thought leader On this podcast, he and Duncan discuss the art and science of attracting business owners, a proven approach to get families down from the summit successfully. You can see the full video version of this webinar on our Pareto Systems YouTube channel. Enjoy. Hello,
1: I'm Duncan McPherson with Pareto Systems. Thank you very much for participating in this conversation. With Tom Deans, where we're going to outline a proven approach that will give you the art and science of attracting business owners. The jolt of 2020 has been incredibly revealing, and there are many silver linings for the enlightened advisor who can start to reimagine their business. And elevate themselves so that they have even more professional contrast and it's a combination of qualitative and quantitative impact this has been a Darwinian period and I'm not necessarily talking about survival of the fittest it's who can adapt and again the enlightened understand that they're not just managing money, they're managing a business that creates a client experience and drives enterprise value, and they're managing relationships. And among other things, that impacts how you're perceived and described. And I'm very, very excited. We've worked very hard building up to this moment to introduce you to Tom Dean, who, in my view, is an unrivaled authority on so many levels in the area of how to make yourself indispensable to especially first-generation affluent business owners and their families. So, Tom, first of all, thank you very much. I know you're a busy
2: guy, and you carved out some time for us, so thank you for that. Well, Duncan, great to to join you today, and I I look forward to our conversation.
1: Yeah, me as well, and we're just going to take our time because we have a lot to cover here, and I would consider this to be non-optional as it relates to an advisor's ability to reframe relationships, and rejuvenate themselves to go up market. When it comes to a family enterprise, it it is absolutely essential to get out in front of developing needs and to future pace relationships to get a client to buy into your process, not just buy things transactionally. And if we move to the next slide, let me just begin with a bit of uh, history, a backdrop. I'm the co-author of the Advisor Playbook which as you can see is designed to enable an advisor to achieve consistent client acquisition. But that is achieved by attracting, not chasing those clients. I believe your value is bought, not sold. And that approach to stewardship in and of itself gives you professional contrast You can see I also talk about deploying an impeccable client experience. We want you to decommoditize your value and ensure that your clients understand and appreciate your practice and your process as much as they trust you and your team, right? Your people. And then lastly, we want to make sure that the business serves your life, not the other way around. In the last little while, talking to advisors who have come to the realization that they really have built something that's durable, where they're running the business. It's not running them. Now, over to Tom, uh, the more I get to know you and the more I get to understand your content and approach, uh, this is... The next frontier, this is where the puck is going for, again, the enlightened advisor. When you think about demographic shifts, when you think about, again, the jolt that we've all experienced in 2020, there's no better time to build this approach into your process as a financial professional and to start engaging. A client's family into that process to, to build a firewall around those relationships to capture money in motion and, and, uh, engage second, third, fourth generation clients. And of course, to create advocacy. So, uh, Tom, right off the bat, uh, you're incredibly practical. I mean, I look at the book, the twelve common sense questions to protect your wealth. You don't talk about talking about things; you get into an actionable approach that advisors can translate into results. And I'm just curious, right up front, uh, what kind of results you've seen advisor achieve because of that?
2: Well, Duncan, you know I've been at this for uh, for twelve years. So as you uh, as you know you know a little bit about my history you know that i was the ceo of a large family business manufacturing company and and i just knew from my own peer groups other ceos of family businesses that they were all struggling with the same things and i was the great beneficiary of some inherited wisdom from my father who inherited some wisdom from his grandfather and my great grandfather we've been at this business of creating businesses and transitioning businesses in our family uh, for over a hundred years, and um, over the course of that hundred years, we've we've been very fortunate to sell our businesses for more than hundred million, and that was not fluke. That was not a fluke. We had a we had a process, and I seamlessly monetized <laughs> that collective family wisdom in the form of that book, Every Family's Business, released twelve years ago, that has gone on to sell one point three million copies. Uh, so this is not theory. I've lived it. And I've and I've used it. I have two kids, and I'm now asking them the same 12 questions that my father asked me and my grandfather asked my father. That's all we're doing: asking questions.
1: And and they are universal, uh, and and of course every family can personalize and customize them for their own situation. But the thing I like right off the top, and I'm jumping ahead, and I'll come back to our our uh, track here, but. The ultimate legacy in uh, a family is the handing down of wisdom, not just the economic legacy, but that thoughtful wisdom. That That's a profound uh, observation I
2: made when I went through this book. Well, you know, Duncan, I think you only have to reach into the history, you know, certainly of of some of the wealthier countries and the wealthier families that made those countries wealthy and compare and contrast the fortunes of the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts. I mean, there's lots of biographies that have been written on those two families. One, the Rockefellers invested heavily in process and family meetings and structuring governance. Like they just didn't expect the next generation to fluke, uh, you know, these skills. They talked about it. They, they leaned on their advisors for guidance and structure and and it, there was a kind of a it became habitual and that's why there are rockefellers to this day who are continuing to start new businesses with the same kind of hunger and lust to create and be created that's that is not an accident
1: well speaking of wisdom let's move to the next slide because for the longest time uh, I've been working with fee for service knowledge-for-profit professionals. And I've been telling them, in the spirit of attract, not chase, if you want to attract more attractive clients, you have to make yourself more attractive than any other person vying for that business or that person's current provider. So I've been telling our clients for years, be a serious student. First of all, read the e-myth, the entrepreneurial myth, and understand the distinctions of what it means to work on a business, not in the business. So to build something, not transacting and having a job, and understanding that every business is built to be sold. and being diversified, thinking in terms of always being liquid. And, and again, I'm jumping ahead, but in our in our conversations leading up to this, always liquid but never gifted. You you talk about not gifting a business to the next generation. That's that's profound.
2: Yeah, it um it's it's absolutely at the core of our of our collective family wisdom. So going right back to hotels back in the 1920s, chemical manufacturing, plastics, now publishing. We have never gifted any of our businesses to our children. We asked them to risk their capital and purchase that family business at full market value. It's I thought everyone did this. <laughs> and I quickly learned. Uh, through my own peer groups, my own CEO-to-CEO CEO groups that, in fact, quite the opposite. What was happening was the business founder was hanging on to those voting shares to the day that they died, and their children were running the business. And at some point in the relationship, that founder would simply retire and pull a salary from that business that the kids were running. And this would go on for you know five or 10 years, and then the business founder would die, and then the kids would inherit the business. And then we were left with that appalling statistic that only 30% of family businesses were actually surviving as a result of this. Like, these were terrible odds. And of that 30%, only 10% was making it to the third generation. So stated differently, I was learning. When you look at the data, if you're a founder today and you're going to gift your business to your kids, you have a 3% chance of your grandchildren owning and operating your business. You got better odds going to Las Vegas, and the drinks are free.
1: Well, nice segue to the second book I've been telling my clients to just understand and completely internalize is The Millionaire Next Door, which is one of the best studies of first generation affluence uh, in America and, of course, Canada. And here's what's fascinating in that book of all the things I glean from that, that an advisor needs to really. Understand is how many first generation business owners insulate and deprive their next generation from the experiential uh, adversity and work ethic and grit that made the first generation who they were. They basically even subconsciously think to themselves, I want my kid's life to be better than mine, and the unintended consequence of that is learned helplessness, where the the attempt at creating the safety net becomes a hammock of entitlement, and of course, that's where some of the resentments And some of the emotional elements
2: start to present themselves. And you you address those so well. Well, you know, it's a really, uh, that was really well put, uh, Duncan. You know, as I'm reflecting back as you're speaking, I'm reflecting back in my own family history. I suppose that's what we're trying to avoid by asking the next generation to risk their capital to buy the family business or simply Take whatever inherited wealth they're given and start a new business that they're passionate about. We we are really agnostic on that point. We don't get hung up on this idea that we're only a successful intergenerational transition if we keep the family business going. Quite the opposite. Keep it. Sell it. Start your own. What we want is the next generation to really embrace entrepreneurship And really fall in love with what they're creating and really be successful at that. And the only way we can do that is by teaching the next generation to take a love of risk taking. You cannot create successful next gens without imbuing that fundamental core value that success can only come by taking risks.
1: Well, I learned from Jim Rohn many years ago, and it definitely applies, that you don't do that for what it gets you, it's for what it makes of you. Mm. So the goal for the next generation is not to see just how much money they can earn, it's who they can become. And that's not learned in a simulator, that's experiential. And um which leads me to the third book. And we talked about this before, too, that every family. When it comes to money and the minefield, especially when there's an enterprise involved, every family is either an example or a warning, an example of how to get it right or a warning in terms of what not to do. And beer money, so you remember, right, Old Milwaukee and Schlitz beer? It's such a great story, and you can see it says a memoir of privilege and loss legacy I mean yeah, there's some heartbreaking stories out there and again it was unintended but here's what I've learned uh, with my wife and kids privilege is being born on third base entitlement is thinking I hit a triple and that is <laughs> I love it. Profound for that next generation and not to saddle our, as Carl Jung would say, uh, and I'm I'm paraphrasing his quote, but the worst thing we can do for our kids is to uh, saddle them with our unfulfilled aspirations. So my point in bringing up these three books, and we'll just move to the next slide, is that. Because I've gotten to know you and gotten to know your value. I would argue that this book would not just make it into the podium now. It's, it's, the, it's the four essential books. In the spirit of beginning with the end in mind, there's never a better time for a family to read your book and to embrace Everything that you've laid out for them, it's such a powerful blueprint. And from an advisor's perspective, we, we want to ensure that a client and the entire family tree of that client never feels like they've grown out of the relationship. They've outgrown the advisor where loyalty fatigue and familiarity starts to seep in. Uh, so, so I'm just letting you know that I am going to position your book and your value and your approach as being an essential component to a financial professional's process to go deeper into their relationships, to 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 understand unmet needs and what's coming. The demographic shifts and how much money is going to be changing hands. I mean. 2 billion dollars got inherited today. And we all know what happens. Right? Uncle Sam gets too much uh the, the the family is not sure what to do, what actions to take and then of course then the shopping spree kicks in and the legacy vaporizes. Yep. And and especially when you think about this jolt of twenty twenty, the role of the advisor qualitatively. I mean, the life coaching, uh, being the therapist, the psychoanalyst, the the marriage counselor, I mean they're hats. There's there's many roles. And and what's beautiful about your approach is it's actionable and the credibility because it comes from the real world, is, again, unrivaled. So I just want to let you know where we're coming from there.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Duncan. And, um, you know, both my books are written in the Socratic method. Socrates debated by asking questions. I don't know if you've ever been in a heated debate with someone who uses the Socratic method. It's really irritating because they always win. Advisors don't have to have the answers when it comes to helping a business owner articulate their succession plan. They just need really extraordinary questions. And my central premise is that the answers to the 12 questions that I'm offering in every family's business, the answers to those questions, those questions being asked between a father and a daughter, a mother and a son, the two generations, the answer resides somewhere between the relationship of those two people. And when an advisor can bring clarity, bring that process, those questions, and that clarity to a business family, a family in business, that family will never leave that advisor. They have become indispensable.
1: Well, and philosophically, we're so in sync. I mean, I've come to the realization, too, in studying Socrates, that so many issues are two or three questions deep. And you're not trying to convince somebody. You want them to come to their own conclusions. You know, the, the, the man on the mountain doesn't actually give advice. He leads or she leads that person. So I'm not trying to prove them wrong. I'm not trying to change their beliefs. I just want them to expand their thinking and, and arrive at a decision that's in their best interest. And that's, That's very intentional, methodical, and process-driven. And I just want to plant a seed for everybody as we ease into a deeper dive here. At the end of this conversation, uh, I'm going to give everybody three options in terms of how they can translate these ideas into results. You've all heard the saying that after all is said and done, more is often said than done. We're going to talk about some things I'm sure you'll agree with, but we don't want it to go to your head to die or your intent to diminish. So there's three things that you can do. There's a DIY approach that we will lay out for you. And then there's a virtual actionable process. And then there's a in-person tangible process that we'll outline uh, where you can engage with Tom and translate this into results and competitor-proof your clients and create that advocacy. So, let's move to the next slide. Let's just talk about the role of the financial advisor and how to become indispensable, as you put it. So, you and I, we both love the story of Sir Edmund Hillary. um, And, of course, Deeper into the story, we learn about Tenzing Norgay. Uh, Sir Edmund Hillary is credited as being the first person to climb Mount Everest, but Tenzing Norgay apparently is the first person to have his picture taken on Mount Everest by Sir Edmund Hillary, because, of course, he was the Sherpa. And, you know, a lot of people think about the role of the Sherpa to get the climber to the summit. That's not the goal. The goal is to get them back down. A lot of financial advisors think of them, think of them, their role and their goals as helping a client achieve and maintain financial independence. So incrementally through compounding and discipline, how to become that 25-year overnight success story. You know, most climbers will tell you that it's a little anticlimactic because they generally spend less than 15 minutes on the summit. It's fascinating. Jamling Norgay, Tenzing's son, wrote a great book, and he was the led the team that took IMAX to Everest. He tells a story about how there was a team that got within 300 meters of the summit and had to turn back, and they were just before Hillary's team. I mean, just the near miss, right? The point here of this metaphor is that the advisor's role, it transcends just the client's life. It's the entire family and multi-generation. And, you know, one thing I want advisors to constantly say and remind their clients of is that there's a reason why we have second and third generation clients. Because the goal is not just to get to the summit, it's to make sure the rest of your life and the rest of your legacy is secure. There's a reason why we only accept new clients who are introduced to us, because our clients are advocates for their friends and family members whose philosophy aligns with ours. So, Tom, let's let's dig into this. The first meaningful question I want to ask is because I I don't want to just be on the surface here, I really want to go deep. One could argue that business succession planning represents the single most significant business opportunity for advisors. Like, is that more prevalent now? And, like, what has changed? And why is this issue amplifying and defining? the distinction between a winner and a loser in the wealth management space.
2: Well, Duncan, it's a great question. Let me just paint a picture for you. There is somewhere between, the number is so large that no one really knows for sure, but there's somewhere between 10 and $20 trillion sitting in the retained earnings, of small and medium sized businesses being led by an aging business owner. And what's so fundamentally different now than 20 years ago is they had smaller families. They didn't have six kids. They had two kids. And those kids went off and they got educations and they're now dentists. They're not running an auto dealership. They don't want to be it. They thought, they, guess what? They actually listened to their parents and followed their own dreams. Fast forward, you've got a business owner, smaller families, disinterested kids with the majority of their wealth wrapped up in one illiquid stock. Their money is in their operating business. They're into their 60s and 70s. The hippies right? The hippies are turning 70. And half of them don't have a will. If they don't have a will, 125 million American, North Americans do not have a will. If they don't have a legal will, they don't have a business succession plan. Half of all business owners do not have a succession plan. They do not have a will. I'm talking about a disaster that is looming, you know, coming out of this serious challenge that we're in the middle of right now. I think will be the greatest opportunity for advisors because business owners are now hypersensitive to the fact that they have done something very silly. They've got into their 60s and 70s and 80s, and yes, even into their 90s with no plan to monetize and transition their largest asset, they're stuck. And if they're, if they're waiting, right, for their kids to start this conversation, they're gonna be waiting a long time. They need help, they need help, they need a catalyst to kickstart that conversation and bring clarity to how they're going to transition either the business or the wealth that's in the business, but it isn't going to do it on its own. And that's where advisors need to step in. They need to step in and make themselves absolutely indispensable to the business owner.
1: Unbelievable insights there. And I mean, I, I think of the will as being a puzzle piece, but in fact, the overarching deliverable of the advisor are the puzzle pieces. The will is, is like you can't build a puzzle without the picture. The will <laughs> is like the blueprint, and you're saying fifty percent of yeah. family businesses. That's that's astounding.
2: And of it course, is, it is shocking, Duncan. So when a business owner dies intestate, and are you ready for this? Thousands of business owners today, today and tomorrow, will die without a will. And so the state of Missouri, the province of British Columbia, (laughs) they have a formula for chopping up that beautiful family business, along with the barbecue and the cottage. And there you go. And everyone will be scratching their heads thinking, what was our, what was dad's advisor doing all these years? How could someone who was taking all those fees let this happen? Little heads up, Duncan. They're not going to blame the lawyer. They're going to blame the financial advisor because the business feels like a money issue, not a legal issue.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, I've just got to absorb that because it is quite uh, shocking. And you know, I know we're going to get into like the trepidation around the minefield. Uh, And what prevents the advisor from engaging into that conversation, not wanting to maybe open up a can of worms? The advisor has to be so direct and feel they're doing someone a disservice to the point where if the client doesn't see the merit of acting on this, it's probably not a good fit the advisor, in terms of the relationship, because of the, the fiduciary
2: and the blowback that you're describing, so uh, Duncan, I think so. So many advisors are intimidated by the great business founder. They feel they feel ill-equipped. They it, it feels like an imposition. It feels rude to ask a business founder, "Hey, Bill. Hey, Mary. How much?" How much of your personal net worth is wrapped up in your business? I mean, I know I'm managing your wealth outside your business. I have a really good grasp of that. But what is that as a percentage of your total personal net worth? Do you know how many business advisors are reluctant to ask that question? And here's here's my theory. It's because they haven't done their own work. They, don't, they haven't had to struggle and articulate their own business succession plan. So they feel inauthentic when it comes to asking a business owner client who, by the way, They are the high net worth clients that every advisor is hunting, right? I have never met an advisor who says, yeah, I want to build my practice chasing really poor people with very little money. They all say they want high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. Well, guess what? They're business owners. If you really want to grow your practice, you better get good at this and get good at this quickly because coming out of our current mess, this is what's keeping business owners up at night. How am I going to exit and monetize my business?
1: Well, you're stealing a bit of my thunder on the second question, but we might as well get into this and just let it free flow. Um, to your point of being deliberate, the advisor needs to deploy the Socratic method and not wing it, but have very deliberate sequential questions from a diagnostic mindset and be bold uh, to have that conversation with that very strong personality Because that strong personality will respect the leadership and respect the process-driven approach. It's not just me caring and having good intentions. When the advisor says, you know, an important part of our process is not just to manage your wealth, but to deploy a panoramic and all-encompassing process that applies to every asset you have. So let's engage in that.
2: Yeah, really, really well put, Duncan. I, 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 I'm always reminded of that alarming statistic uh, from, from Fortune magazine. Ready for this? Of the 100 largest firms in America in the year 1900, do you know, Duncan, that only 16 were still in business in the year 2000? Do you know how much wealth destruction takes place in the modern economy? Our market system, it's beautiful. I mean, I love working in that system because it rewards risk-taking and creativity. But you know what it also rewards? It rewards the business owner who has that knack of starting a business at the right time and getting the hell out of Dodge just in time. And, and the wealthy will tell you that they don't know how they do it. But they often will admit that they do it with the help of an advisor who's constantly reminding them that every single business on this planet has a beginning, middle and an end. Now, that's a very different message from the world of family business consultants who are obsessed with this idea of continuing businesses in perpetuity. A fourth generation business being way more successful than a third and certainly a third being more successful than a second. Listen, you know my, you know my own family story. Start, sell, start, sell, start, sell, start, sell. Four businesses over a hundred years. We create wealth. We transition wealth and we transition a responsibility by the next generation to risk that capital and find the next great thing. It's a different. It's a very contrarian view.
1: You know, I'm trying to force the analogy here, but I had a conversation with Chris Jeffson. He and I co-wrote the Advisor Playbook, and we were talking about um, the most valuable painting in the world, which is uh, Starry Night, right, Van Gogh. And I think he painted that while he was in the asylum. And and my point is, like most artists, know that the real value of their art doesn't amplify or reveal itself until they're long gone. The artist himself or herself is gone. Trying to twist that sort of analogy to the business owner focusing on the legacy of what it looks like when they're gone and not having the sense of dread or apprehension or anticlimax, climax but getting really excited about the, mean, the cause and effect, what the enterprise does the legacy and everybody in that family tree. Just thinking out loud here.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's, um, it's you know it's interesting. There, it's. I wish I had written uh, kind of like a thought leadership book on like a motivational inspiring book, like and then go and hop on planes and give that unlock the lion in you speech. It's way easier than standing in front of 300 400 business owners and telling them, reminding them that their greatest legacy is not their business, <laughs> in fact, no one will actually remember them for their beautiful business, whether it's worth 5 million or 500 million. Let me, let me ask you a question. I'm not gonna put you on the spot. Let me ask you rhetorically. Who is the founder of Coca-Cola? I hear you. <laughs> no one knows. I can give a speech in front of 500 business owners, no one knows, and no one even Googles it. No one cares. That isn't just a really great successful company. That's the third most valuable consumer brand in the world. No one knows who the founder is. No one cares. Now, i say auto dealer, funeral home direct, you know, owner, uh, retail owner, importer, manufacturer. Listen, I'm not being critical. It's not a personal commentary on how smart and creative you are. I'm just reminding you that your greatest work of art is not your business. It's your family. That is a a moment to watch a room shift to their real legacy. It's a powerful moment.
1: But your point about the rah-rah, that is is so temporary. It's got the lasting value of a Red Bull, right? The rah-rah events that we've all been to. You've Mm -hmm. spoken at countless conferences. You've spoken before or after the, the motivational speakers and the the change that that creates is so temporary and so because of the law of diminishing intent your form of motivation is thought provoking but it's also actionable which by the way leads me to a question and you're you're touching on it now because I can feel it building because your message has been described by many as not only contrarian but controversial. And, and so I want you to expand on that.
2: Well, I I, I would accept that as, as no higher praise. I, uh, I think the temptation when you're writing a book is to write a book that doesn't offend anyone because you want your readership to be as wide as possible, right? And the reality is we all know people start into those books and it feels like a love-in and then people toss it. They're like, I think I've read a version of this book 10 times. It is really hard. And I had some really great coaching myself in the early days from some really successful authors. And they said, look, narrow your market, speak your truth, share your wisdom. As hard fought and hard earned as it is, narrow your market and speak your truth. And I'll tell you, I'm writing this book thinking no one is going to read this book. This is offering such a counter culture idea. That In fact, I have even been called the Dr. in of family businesses. It's very hurtful. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, I've had so much feedback from business owners who go, I disagree with what you're saying, but I have no idea why. And I have got so much soul searching and work to do. I think I was going to leave my business to my kids because... They thought they would I, they would love it as much as I do, but I never thought to ask them i i and then they're thanking me, I'm signing their book, and off they go and and I you know, right? I don't offer consulting services. I'm going wide, not deep. I'm positioning the advisor with these questions to go deep. I need emissaries i need I need disciples to change wow. the world because if we, because if we don't. We're going to continue to destroy family businesses, family business wealth, and the family relationships themselves.
1: Well, we're going to get into that whole train-the-trainer mindset and how an advisor can embed your approach into their overarching process. But, you know, it's interesting. My wife, um, she says, I'm always right eventually. And I think is that a to you? When, you, um, when somebody walks away and and they're saying, I don't agree with you, but it was interesting, that's like a torch. It's like a handle to walk away with. They're going to be thinking about that for a long time, and they'll come to their own conclusions because you've got their attention. And you think about the warning. you're trying to avoid and turn them into examples like I was talking to a neighbor who was telling me about a family that um, it was a very basic blue collar business uh, just like in the millionaire next door and they they hit it out of the park eventually it took time but the collateral damage and the resentment that's, that exists within that family, uh, the, the owner, the founder, I'm sure, like in your story in Every Family's Business, if he was to really bear his soul, he would talk about, if I could do it again, I probably would have done it a little differently. Because the enterprise was unbelievably successful. The family is unbelievably dysfunctional. And maybe that's because of neglect. Maybe it's because of uh, entitlement and learned helplessness and all those unintended consequences. But the fulfillment factor, because you've shared with me some of the stories and the impact, even from just reading the book,
2: let alone going mm. deeper
1: The fulfillment factor for you,
2: must be immense. You know, it is because some of my harshest critics who would be maybe someone who's built a practice being a, a facilitator for family meetings, they have come back many years later after hearing me speak and said, oh my goodness, I, you've got it right. The family's the legacy, it's not the business. Businesses come and go, businesses are balance sheets, they're income statements. They come and they go. They're, they're an instrument of wealth creation. They're not the family. They're not your friend. A business is not your pet. It's, it's a serious undertaking. They get bigger or they get smaller. They don't go sideways. And I and it's it's a really organic view that I'm sharing with advisors, right? It's this idea that a business, when it's incorporated, is born. It grows. It grows up. And everything that is born and grows up will eventually, say it, Duncan, they die, and there is nothing wrong with saying that. In fact, for a business owner to say that one day his business won't be here, one day he won't be here, that is the moment where all progress begins. That's when that business owner detaches emotionally from that asset and begins to make wise decisions.
1: Well, and, and your point, I mean, a successful business is a massive accomplishment but it has to be viewed as a means to an end and the advisor has to understand uh, the process to help the client understand what that end looks like so that they're not just defined by business success. It's part of their composite of success, which, which leads me to this next question and we touched on this, but I, I love the congruency and the credibility of your approach Because you've lived this. I mean, you mentioned being the CEO of a large family business, like a massive win, a hundred million dollar liquidity event. But you, you, it wasn't just the quantitative, there were qualitative things that that revealed. So is that, is that again why you wrote Every Family's Business to, to make sure the client, the reader, the advisor understands the balance between the quantitative and the qualitative.
2: I think I think it is. I and I can make that point by sharing a very very short story, Duncan. We uh, we were the largest employer in our town when we sold on February eighth, two thousand and seven, which was just weeks before the capital markets tanked and the crisis began, the Great Recession began. We dodged that bullet. And we're not that smart. We were really really lucky. And I really wrote every family's business from that place of from a place of gratitude. But I was coming out of our local bank, our sale made the front page of our local newspaper and I was a stop by. so I was stopped by an acquaintance. And the very first question that I was asked was, are you gonna be okay? <laughs> and I'm thinking, we have just sold to a strategic. It's an all cash deal, it's for an incredible multiple, even the, 10 mobile, no earnout. Like it was a phenomenal deal for the buyer and for us. It was win-win. And it took us years to actually put that deal together. And I'm thinking, but there it is. There's that question. Anyone who sells a family business, right, is a loser. Something must have been wrong. The buyer is the victor, the seller, the vanquished. And you wonder why businesses don't sell, why family businesses especially don't sell, why the business owner dies at their desk and then competitors pick it up for pennies on the dollar. It's because advisors don't feel confident about this. We have great advisors. We have great advisors that assisted us all, all the way. And I'll tell you, when we had our liquidity event, you think we packed up and took our money to some new advisor? No. We rewarded the people that rewarded us with their wisdom. It's pretty straightforward. And there's between 10 and $20 trillion up for grabs. You're, if you're an advisor and you're listening to this and you're chasing high net worth clients you want to grow on the back of the most successful people, they're business owners. And they and they hey, they have no help in this area. You have no competition. As an advisor, you have no competition. If business owners could do this on their own, this business succession piece, you'd have a better number than this. Only 20% of businesses are sold. That's it. 80% fail. 80% either liquidate. Bank, go bankrupt, quietly shut their doors, and no one knows what happened.
1: So on that, if we go to the next slide, the fourth generation, so so one, I'm assuming that one of the ways that your dad and granddad, grandparents, helped to uh, address some of the emotional elements and look at you as a protege was because of the twelve questions you talk about in every family's business, so can I assume you didn't yourself create the twelve They were created by your business mentors who also happen to be your parents and grandparents
2: correct they're my greatest they're my greatest coaches and mentors they were you know in the spirit of of full disclosure, Duncan, my father is a financial genius. He can navigate a balance sheet like no one I've ever met. My mother is a psychotherapist. I grew up at a dinner table watching conversations toggle effortlessly between Freud and finance, back and forth, hard and soft. If I, as a student of my own work, I read, I read that book. I read my own book occasionally, and I look at it, and that's exactly what it's doing effortlessly toggling back and forth between the soft issues alive and well. You use the word asylum. That's what a family business is. Families trapped in an asylum with no exit, no exit hatch. How do you sell a family business when your children are deriving an income, a lifestyle from that business? So what do you do? I'll give you a hint. Nothing. That was five seconds of silence. Try 30 years of silence around the subject of how will the voting shares transition. It's the silence that grinds on these family relationships, Duncan, and it's got to stop. There is such a demand for someone to start this conversation. And it's, and it's really the, the wealth advisor, the insurance professional is best suited. They're oh. all about protecting family wealth.
1: So you were a product of your environment, but it was very intentional and deliberate. So you talk about the art and science of the financial advisor. The advisors got for the most part the technical ability, there's some things they can enhance there, but in, o- in order to pierce the silence and open up the conversation without fear of the can of worms that's really what we're talking about here because the addressable audience they they you speak to it's the 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 family but the and the family both generations and the advisor as a conduit that's the train the trainer so it's it's Confucius, right? It's not giving the fish; it's teaching someone to fish. Exactly. You you apply to both. Which, if you go to the next slide here, so uh, you're you're a busy guy, and uh, you're a full time professional speaker. You do obviously webinars like this, but you also uh, spend a lot of time traveling. The world. This is why you don't offer one-to-one consulting. You want to hand the torch to the advisor, so you want to demystify it for the advisor, give them the confidence to open up the conversation, and then give them the actionable components to to deploy it. And the trickle down is the families win the advisor wins and your legacy is secured.
2: There's nothing I can add, Duncan. That was, that was, that is absolutely what I'm doing. I, uh, you know, the French, I was, I was speaking in France and and the French refer to me as a provocateur. When I do a live event, when a client brings me into their city or town, into their community to address a group of business owners, 50, 100, 150 business owners and their spouses. I should I should tell you, the spouses are crucial. When the spouses hear that they are going to inherit their husband or their husband hears they're going to inherit their wife's business, you, you, want, to see excel, you want to see succession primes accelerate. The spouses are crucial. But I'll tell you, when I'm flying into these, into these places and giving this talk, really what I'm doing, I'm doing the hard part. I'm shaking the audience up. I'm getting them to a ch- to check their assumptions, to really, really do a gut check, and understand that if they do nothing, they will be remembered, just not fondly. <laughs> it's it's part it's storytelling, it's part humor. There's some data, not too much, and no PowerPoint. It is a high energy, 45 minute impact, high impact speech
1: that starts a conversation between the advisor. And his or her clients.
2: It's yeah, sim- it's interesting. Yeah, so Duncan, what I'll often do after my 45 minute uh, queue, uh, keynote, I'll bring I'll bring the advisor and his center of influence up onto the stage. Yeah. And it it's a really wonderful moment to take the spotlight off me. It's not the Tom Dean show. I've done my thing. I then put that, that spotlight on the advisor and say, folks, you've heard how high the stakes are if we don't get cracking on this. You need to get started. See these people right here? The people who brought me in, flew me in? These people have seen the good, the bad, the ugly. They want you to have a smooth succession plan. They want you to monetize your wealth that you've worked 10, 20, 30, 50 years to create that's sitting in that business. They're good at it, they're smart, and they want to help. And my call to action is if you're not working with these people, they're the best in town, you need to. And that's how the, and that's how the evening or the, or the luncheon or the
1: breakfast ends. It's great. So let's go to the next slide. So at a minimum, we want the advisor to build this into his or her process, even just by embedding your 12 questions into the conversation around continuity and succession. Tom, can I assume that the way to start the conversation on a one-to-one basis with their existing business owner clients, especially like that classic millionaire next door, the the quiet, understated, disciplined, frugal uh, business owner the blue collar, they own the car dealership, they own the HVAC company, they're the auctioneering uh, professional, they own the plumbing supply company. They got affluent gradually, but they understand delegating to someone with credentials and process. Is the way to start the conversation there just to add an agenda item on a face-to-face strategy and tactical meeting and simply say, look, Part of our process is to get out in front of continuity succession and family investment legacy issues and then use your 12 questions use every family's business as the tip of that spear
2: yes is the quick answer i mean absolutely and and immediately watch the business owner's body language watch look for those signs that those that deep breath I mean, They've been waiting for that person to show up. This is what's keeping them up at night, Duncan. It's not whether or not they got 4% or 6% return on their invested capital or, or they don't. Look, high net worth clients, especially business owners, many of them couldn't tell the advisor how much money they made them in the previous year. They don't care. You know what keeps them up at night? The one thing that most people overlook what happens if I get sick? Who's going to run this business? What happens if I die? I mean, we all, we move into our 50s and 60s and 70s, we all know friends who have died. Unexpected. Where's this business going to go? Where will my, will my children, do they have the skills to lead it? Do they want to lead it? What about my surviving spouse? What are they going to do? Am I going to strap them with a problem or an opportunity? That's what's keeping them up at night watch the body language of a business owner when, a, when an advisor raises this as a subject especially put some process around it for the first time sense of relief and you talk about you talk about building a fence around a, your most valuable client this is why you're going to do it
1: okay so let's go deeper into an advisor not only adding it to the repertoire but building it into the process so We all know that advisors generally, and it's not even conscious, but they generally do just enough advising not to lose the client. Uh, And some of that is reactive. Some of it is siloed and transactional. But how, how intimidating is it for an advisor to engage a business owner in advance of transition? I mean, and it's a two-way street. It's not just the advisor's trepidation around the can of worms, but I'm assuming, assuming that I'm a business owner. Maybe we have a false sense of or appreciation for our mortality. Maybe this is easy to do, but it's just easier not to because I'm so busy. I mean, is that where the conversation starts is just connecting, being aware of the fact that I'm putting it off, And the advisor doesn't necessarily have the confidence or the process, if we can just address that and just see what it reveals and let the business owner opt in.
2: Yeah, so I'm gonna share something uh, with you, Duncan, that may seem a little odd. We tend to view estate planning and business succession planning as, and this is a lot of business owners think the same way. If I spend a couple of hours over here with my advisor talking about my will and really putting some detail around my business succession plan, that's like an hour of my life that I'll never get back. It's boring. It's awful. It's sad. It's morose. It's dark. How can you make money over there? I come along and I say, business owner, that's where you make the money. Yeah. That's where you make the money. When you know how you're going to exit, when you begin notionally with the end of mind. And you know exactly what your last day looks like. Hey, Duncan, I got a last day in my office, this office. One day I'm going to walk out of here. It's going to be my last day selling books. It's going to be my last day giving live events. You too. And everyone else watching this is going to have one last day. What's that day look like? Have we tripped over that by accident? Has someone dictated that day to us? Or have we driven towards that day with purpose and intentionality? What I'm talking about in my book for a business owner is to understand that when we drive to that exit, that day, we are actually going to build more valuable businesses today because we know what buyers are going to ascribe value for. That is succession planning. It's not about getting, it's not about getting old and dying. It's about building more valuable businesses today with the end in mind. That is a powerful, now you're talking money now you're talking the language of a business owner and you've got his full or her full attention.
1: Well and I know you've got a pretty good command of our approach. I I just see this marrying in beautifully because when an advisor wants to reframe a relationship uh we've got our our trailer with our Venn diagram of what matters and what the advisor can control But what I see is the advisor then, in the reframe, to open up and introduce this, to then go to the seven pillars, one process. So to get out of the uh, pattern of saying, you know, I offer advice and I do planning and I'm a wealth manager and I sell insurance. No, no, no. Wealth management is part of my process. Risk management is part of our process. Tax. Tax estate, continuity, secession, family investment legacy, philanthropy, all of it, part of the process. Positioning the process instead of pitching individual decisions, I see this plugging and playing right into that. And that that sort of being the, not Trojan horse, but just the way of getting away from worrying about rocking the boat. Like, I'm doing my client a disservice by not engaging them in this conversation,
2: but I do want... have it so it's there you not... have it that is that is it in a nutshell right there,
1: okay, and I'm not pitching this as an opportunistic you know wallet share, find the money, you know none of that no, 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 this is just part of our process and and we want to get out in front of this. And then you, you touch on something, also engaging all of their other service providers into the process because the advisor has to be positioned as the family CFO, right, the complete family office. So they're not saying, hey, look, we'll refer you out. No, no, no. we're going to engage your CPA. We're going to engage your attorney and all of your other service providers into the process. So you always have the complete picture. And then what we're going to do is go deeper into family meetings. And I'm going to have direct conversations with your heirs to understand what we've deployed and what role they play so that they've got clarity. We Let's just completely demystify this. So my point, Tom, is I'll, I'll include the link our trailer and our seven pillars one process approach i just want the advisors to embed your value of every family's business and those 12 questions into that as part of their strategy and tactical meetings and we'll go deeper i love it i I love love it it's very exciting well okay let's go to the next slide let's let's go a little deeper Because as you know, I mean, you've lived it, but you're also in this world now. Financial planning is very different than a financial plan. Financial planning is fluid and dynamic. It's panoramic and all-encompassing. And it involves that future pacing. The client has to understand, look, there's parts of our process that aren't relevant to you. Yet, But as critical life events, milestones, and moments of truth occur in your life, we want to get so far out in front of that that we are putting pieces together deliberately, proactively. We're not reacting. Good decisions come from a strong position. That's the beauty of our process. So so let's get the advisor just embedding that weaving it in so they're not saying we'll help you with continuity and succession and family investment legacy no our process will help you the professional contrast just from that branding is in my view profound and and you talk about this based on the way the world has been upended in 2020 there's never been a better time not only to build this out, but also to start having these conversations than right now.
2: Well, I can tell you, uh, Duncan, I've never been more busy than I am in the middle of this upheaval. And I can tell you why. It's because people are afraid that what they've been working on for 30 years is feeling very tenuous. And I can tell you that coming out of this, there's going to be a lot of business owners are going to want to go hit it heavy hard and move forward quickly. And if they want to move quicker, then the the experience or the resources of their advisor, that advisor's in a precarious spot. So your, your point about the advisors keeping pace with current events and how this is going to really provoke business owners to really drive their own succession plans with their advisor in tow, or they'll find a new advisor. They just will. And the advisor won't even know why. But I'll tell you, business owners are, they are going to behave like they've never behaved before. They are, they are terrified. It's an awful place to be.
1: Well, let's go to the next slide there. And I mean, it's by design. It's not by chance. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time in the first few months of 2020 working with advisors to manage through this uh, window. But we also want them to focus on what it looks like when they emerge from this and how they can rejuvenate and reinvent and reimagine their value and reintroduce themselves to their clients and, and just on the point of advocacy. Business owners, you know, you talk about the law of environment, they tend to hang out with, live near, work with, and refer people pretty much like themselves. Yep. Advocate feels they're doing someone important to them a disservice by not introducing them if we'll give advisors an elevated approach their clients will become advocates and go out the advisor doesn't need to convince anybody their existing business owner clients will do all the convincing and their persuasive impact
2: is better anyway Absolutely, Duncan, and I can tell you one big takeaway from our our current challenges is one thing has become very clear. Business owners who who have been very successful financially, but also are seeing the benefits of having a close family, you know, during the middle of the crisis, I mean, it's family. Really, what we're talking about with this detailed process is an advisor getting access to the greatest wealth transition in the history of the planet. At $2 billion you refer to today, that is money that is moving like never before. And when a family can start to see how an advisor can start creating intergenerational solutions, helping helping business owners understand that hoarding tens of millions of dollars to the very end of their life and then dying and floodgates opening and then kids who are in their 50s and 60s going, what am I going to do with $20 I'll tell you what would have been really great. 1 million 20 years ago, would have had a material impact on our family. Getting those larger conversations started with this detailed process that you're alluding to, I'm telling you, 80% of inherited money moves to a new advisor because the advisor is not speaking the language and doesn't have a process of family. Money and wealth management and insurance has always been about family. There's a whole vocabulary that advisors need. And if they don't have it, they're missing out on the greatest source of new client capital.
1: Well, it is incredible how many times we see a client feel or be urged by an external party that they've outgrown their advisor after the liquidity event. And now the numbers get bigger and then they have another service provider start to Plant a seed in the client's mind. Wow, do you do you actually know how much you're paying your advisor now? The shift from what you're worth to what you cost uh, is born, and now the the relationship is at risk. Uh, and it was because the advisor didn't want to rock the boat. So respectfully, let let's move to the next slide. Let let's keep going in terms of how to be deliberate and process driven, and of course, looking down the road. Uh, Tom, you and I have talked about uh, how form, right, family, occupation, recreation, and money is part of this. Helping a client understand money being a means to an end, and helping them understand self-actualization, where the the success of the business is can be fuel for the client to. Understand their purpose, their reason for being. It's not just defined by their business. Um, in your story of the, the the two guys on the plane, I think that's what drew, and I can't remember his name now, the older guy, um, to the younger guy, um, right. because he could compare and contrast his experience. To the younger guys, and and it was a different energy it wasn't just a win financially there was no collateral damage and there was a sense of uh real fulfillment that came from that so form can be part of the process and i, I want to ask you this question because i don't know if this was intentional on your part but Uh, It strikes me that you've been trying to reverse a a cultural force and fundamentally redefine what legacy is. And and you touched on this, like telling a business owner that their legacy is not just defined by the success of the business and the outcome of the business. But there's something more to what's enduring around the legacy. I, I'm assuming that was delivered because of your own experience, but also what you've seen in terms of outcomes from people who have gone through
2: your approach. Absolutely, and uh, and some of the some of the most rewarding days in the last 12 years, having wrote the book and sold over a million copies, is getting those emails, getting those phone calls from strangers who have said, um, "You know, I read the book, I worked with our advisor, we went through the 12 questions, and we had a timely accident, and I made some money." From, the, from, the, from that transaction, my father made enough money. He can retire, and my mother can retire, and they're having a great life, traveling. And, and finally, peace has visited our family. For the first time in 20 years, we can break bread and celebrate the very best of family because we don't have this thing, this thing called the, the business, wedging in between our relationships and creating this chaos and tension, and sibling rivalry. And no one being able to make sense of it. I mean, we're wealthy now and not just financially. We're wealthy because we have the trust and respect, the mutual trust and respect of all of our family members. We are on course to live a great life. And all that because of a book and an advisor who had the courage to go towards the chaos. Duncan, right? It's the advisors that smell intuitively and they smell a problem in the business owner. They feel the darkness and they don't retreat, they rush towards it and they try to embrace it and work with it and resource it in a way that provides some hope. Do you know how terrified it is to be a business owner who's worried about their health with all their wealth and that business and no plan and no one willing to broach the subject? I mean, this is this, this is, these are the the great. Advisors are not taking on a billboard and explaining how they do this because it's their competitive advantage. I'm blowing the whistle on these. These are, there's advisors that are doing it and they're mopping the floor with their competitors.
1: Well, and this lines up with the mindset and the, the hardwiring, the DNA of a business owner who, by virtue of just necessity, takes absolute responsibility for their outcome. Uh you know, if you think about bad outcomes, there's misfortune, right there's light lightning strikes, things completely out of our control, but then there's misconduct and errors and judgment. The beauty of most business owners they don't feel that they're victims of external they're they're victims of themselves and their errors and judgment. the advisor can. As part of the future pacing and the process driven approach, just speak to that responsibility, speak to that mental ownership of outcomes by by having a deliberate approach.
2: You know, Duncan, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch an advisor, as I said earlier, articulate their own succession plan and then channel the tension, the things that they did well and tell that story. And then speak at the same level. It doesn't matter if their practice is bigger or smaller than the business owner they're talking to. They're a business owner. And when they speak the same kind of language and evoke the same kind of empathy by sharing not just the easy parts of succession planning, but the, the warks and the bumps and the struggles. That's what that's what makes an authentic advisor, right? That's that's the advisor I want. I don't want some guy with a flashy suit and a great car who presents that everything is just. Unicorns and rainbows, and life has been easy for them. I want that advisor that has struggled with their succession plan, but persevered and popped out the other end, and is willing to share their hard-earned wisdom. That's really what every family's business is trying to do: make people, make advisors relatable.
1: There's immense credibility when the advisor can can really connect on a level of relationship management, and what I mean by that is, so they're managing money, they're managing a, a, a practice, they're managing people. I'll tell you a story and the reason why I put this book up. I know an advisor who is talking to a client, substantial business owner client, and he, he asked the client, he says, what are you doing on the weekend? And the client said, oh, he started chuckling and said, well, we're going to my son's graduation. And somewhere in the conversation, the word finally came up, meaning what should have taken four years took six and a bit, right? Stops and starts, trips to Europe, i got to find myself. And uh, the client was kind of chuckling about this. And it was just, they moved on the conversation. The advisor was telling me about this later. And he was laughing. And I said, well, I guess that's kind of funny, but it says a lot that your client would bear his soul to you and be so open about something that's probably, you know, a little bit of discomfort. But anyway, I said, this is a defining moment in your relationship with this family. So I said to the advisor, send a copy of the richest man in Babylon to the kid with a card congratulating him on the achievement. And, uh, sure enough, a week or so later, the dad called back and said, okay, that was one of the most, it, that was one of the most impactful things, impressive things I've ever seen. My kid, first of all, it was like Christmas morning. He couldn't believe that you would do that. And he read the book in one sitting. And now you should hear him. Pay yourself first. Uh, You know, all of the fundamental tenets. The dad said to the advisor, you know, if I would have given him the book, he wouldn't have read it. It came from you. Yeah. New, he's a new man. I'm not suggesting advisors get in the gift giving business. I want them to understand their addressable audience. It's not just the parents, they can prime the pump and bring value added that the parents actually value. And in the advisor's own self interest, connect and build some predisposition and make this part of their process.
2: Uh,
1: so I just, I'm just i curious of what your thoughts are on that.
2: Well, my, my thoughts are really, uh, really, really short and snappy. <laughs> he could have given them a sleeve of golf balls, right? What did he do? He said, I heard that story about your son. I listened to that story, and I acted on that story. And I'm going to share a book because I live as an advisor in the world of rich ideas and so I'm going to share a book. Compare and contrast that with an advisor who shares a sleeve of golf balls or a golf shirt or a hat or another or another pen. <laughs> books well, to this day, I'm not talking about my book, I, I'm talking about books generally, have huge intrinsic value and say something about the person giving the gift. They live in the world of ideas.
1: And, and it's reverse engineering in, a fa- in effect where this is all going, and ensuring that there is no defection, no erosion in the family relationship when that money does go into motion and these events occur. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Confucius and when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. The teacher should appear early. And get out in front of that, you know, digging the well before you're thirsty. Not reacting to events, but knowing that that that's where it's going. So I want to ask you another quick question here uh, as we um, get into a couple of other uh, nuggets. So let's move to the next slide here. So... Tom, first of all, uh, in every family's business, the 12 common sense questions you offer, uh, it feels sequential. And I I think that's partly because of the origins and also how evergreen this has been in your family. Tell me, tell me how advisors like what kind of reaction they get from their clients when they use that approach themselves to, to go deeper in the conversation.
2: Yeah. So, so Duncan, you know, you are right. The questions are, are, are sequential. The order, there's a flow and logic to the questions and the answers that reveal where the family is going or not going. And quite frankly, Really what the 12 questions are trying to reveal is whether or not there is a buyer in the house. Is there a family member, a next generation, son or daughter who wants to risk their capital to buy that business? Yes or no? Or does that business owner have a key employee who wants to buy that business? Yes or no? So really after the 12 questions, there is really not much more to talk about when it comes to succession planning. It's getting into Shifting of power, the shifting of control, how will the voting shares transition? Do you have a buyer? Yes or no? There are no wrong or right answers to the question. All that is revealed after the 12 questions is clarity. And I'll tell you, a lot of business owners are finding out when they work with their advisor and have the courage and confidence to ask their children these questions or their key employees these questions, they're finding out. There's no buyer in the house. There's no one there. They all, just- that assu- all that assumption making going on for years and years that everyone will love the business as much as the great founder. They're learning that they have no succession plan, just the illusion of one. That's a big moment. That's a big, big moment. But it,
1: the, the mentor is not forcing anything on the protege. They don't want it more than they do. The protege does. They're at peace with the outcome, and you've diffused some resentment. Now, let's, let's port this over to the advisor because, if we, as we've discussed, the best person to be indispensable to a client's continuity and succession plan and family investment legacy is an advisor who has addressed it himself or herself in real time. And many advisors have um, a son or a daughter or a niece or nephew or a protege at a minimum who's part of their continuity plan because a lot of advisors are getting a little older and their clients are starting to wonder, you know, what happens to to me if you're not here? So have you seen advisors from a congruency perspective Apply this to their own business and the twelve questions and the the mindset
2: and the process. Absolutely, I have uh, I've spoken at conventions purely advisors, a couple hundred advisors with their sons and daughters who were in business with them. Like it was a really interesting event. I'll never forget it. And walking them through these twelve questions and finding <laughs> finding out more than half the room had sons and daughters who. We're in that business out of a sense of duty and obligation, not because they shared a passion for for investments, insurance, or financial planning. They were just there out of a sense of duty. We often invite children into these businesses thinking that that's all they can do. And really what we're doing is we're creating an economic incentive. There's a lot of kids who once they're in, they think that if they leave, they'll either be disinherited because most of the family money is wrapped up in that family business, so they stay. Not because they've had a deep conversation, right? But they're staying because they think, well, I don't know. If I leave, um, I'm out. Uh, I'm out of the family. I'm out of the business. I'm out of the family. We have started these things. We put these families in motion. They need help. They need a blueprint. They need a roadmap out. And I'll tell you, the other half, Of those advisors who had sons or daughters who were interested in continuing that business, they were in that business for all the right reasons, sharing that passion for the profession. The conversation we started that day about putting a valuation on those shares and slowly purchasing their mother or father's shares at real market value, full market value. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. Both were happy. The ones that really didn't want to be in the business had had a road out. The ones that we're in had a road and a path to control. Duncan, why are you in business? I'll tell you why I'm in business for myself. I love control. It's more intoxicating than money, right? If we wanted safe jobs and a defined pension, we'd go work for the federal government. It is not an accident that we're in business for ourselves. We love control. And if we want to give our children the greatest gift of all, it's clarity around how they can have a path to control.
1: I figured out very early in my life I didn't want a job. I wanted to create a job and create jobs for others. And I only wanted to do something that I felt was a calling where my I could really pursue a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And I didn't want to transact and trade time for money. I wanted to build something that had an outcome with enterprise value, but not impose that on anybody else, like my kids, for example. If they they gravitated towards it, then fine. But here's the other thing I wanted to mention. You know, a congruent advisor would never ask a client to buy an investment that the advisor wouldn't buy themselves. We want the advisor to be sort of that open kitchen, right? That fully transparent, forthright, open book. There's something compelling. When an advisor says to a business owner client, I run my business like a business. We've adopted best practices to create a consistent client experience. The clay is soft. We're always refining and optimizing what we do. We're looking down the road at continuity and succession and family investment legacy and all of those dynamics. It's got to help them connect on a deeper level with those clients. It, it has to. And I'm sure you've
2: seen it. I've seen it for sure. Uh, no now, question, Duncan. When you so, speak the same language, when you speak the same language as your clients, you, you're, you're part of the guild. Yeah. Right. You might be. I might be in plastics at one point in my career. My advisor is obviously in a different career, but we're speaking the same language. He's got the same empathy for the same kinds of struggles that are keeping me up at night when I was when I had 150, 200 employees. Right. Huge payroll. Big challenges. That advisor with a couple of employees. He's still speaking my language.
1: And and there's something powerful about. You you think of a demography, like I think I think there's about three or four trillion dollars being managed by a group of advisors, about 50% of advisors are 65 and over. So they've got to address it in their own self interest, but also to make themselves attractive to their clients. But how about CPAs and attorneys and other knowledge for profit? Uh, professionals who think for a living, uh, thats a graying, those are graying sectors as well. The advisor can not only become indispensable to the clients, but also to those service providers by adopting this pro, uh, process and approach.
2: Absolutely. I, I can tell you that what these 12 questions are going to reveal is, if you're a business owner, you're ready for this, get your pen out. You can do nothing and die at your desk. You can sell it to your children. You can sell it to your key employee. You can sell it to a strategic buyer, or you can sell it to a financial buyer. Duncan, no one is inventing new ways to transition your business. You've got a finite set of options. Now, what's it going to be? What's your plan? I don't care which one it is. I don't even care when it is, but you better have a plan. And when the advisor can put it in those terms, do you know how much sense of relief there is? That sense that, The job of a business owner is not just to build something that transcends their own life. It's it's to build a business that makes money, that can be monetized so that they can transition cash to their children. Have you ever met a son or daughter who has inherited cash and been disappointed? (laughs) People love cash. Inherit a family farm? Inherit an operating business. Inherit a family cottage that you got to split six ways with your brothers and sisters. These things are driving families apart. We're better than this. Advisors that key onto this, this whole intergenerational wealth transition, whether it's an operating business or those other those assets that I just described, they can bring some clarity and create liquid estates, As particularly when their clients are moving into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Cash is king. We're only learning that now. Hugely, hugely valuable.
1: okay, so let's move to the next slide and um, we'll get we'll we'll get to some points around where the advisors can go from here and what uh, actions they can take. but let me just talk about the future. so looking down the road, because we've talked about purpose and calling and fulfillment and you know the reason for being when, when will you know your work is done?
2: I think if I'm true to my message, Duncan, my work will, I don't view it as work done, but I think work that will be continued by others. And really what I'm trying to do with my methodology is to create the space. This is not, seriously, it's not the Tom Bean's Legacy uh, Project. This is really about me passing on some collective wisdom that i was incredibly fortunate to not only receive but to actually put into practice and have a successful business exit at 45 i had my liquidity event duncan you know i played golf for two consecutive weeks and i didn't move my handicap like there was something else waiting for me it wasn't the senior tour and i committed myself to just sharing that wisdom those questions and this book and i'll tell you in the middle of this upheaval I've had 21 live events canceled, and I can't tell you financially what that's cost me. But I'll tell you what is really the burden that I'm carrying, and that's not being in front of audiences, signing books, and having one-on-one conversations with advisors, business owners who are who are really struggling with this subject. I miss my audiences desperately.
1: Well, and the silver lining is you're getting pretty good at uh, doing this virtually. Uh, I'm, I can only see you from about the belt up I'm assuming you have pants on uh, I actually at <laughs> home so um, no because you know if, if nothing else I want advisors to understand their reason for being and how they can really uh, add an energy to their relationships and and their sense of fulfillment. By, by demystifying this, uh, everybody's had an opportunity to sort of take stock and look inwards and emerge from, uh, and find these silver linings. And, uh, I know you're doing that yourself. So let's, let's talk about actions advisors can take. Let's move to the next slide. You can do it yourself. If you read Every Family's Business, you take out Tom's 12 questions. You introduce your overarching process with the seven pillars, one process, and put a specific emphasis on continuity, succession, and family investment legacy. And just take some of the emotion out of it. Manage the emotion. Through predictable outcomes that process will create, you're going to elevate your relevance to your clients and feel the calling even more than you do now. That's at a minimum. Do it yourself. Your second option is to engage Tom virtually, and it's a bumper-to-turnkey process. You can. Invite your clients to a webinar presentation that Tom will host. You can engage all of the CPAs and attorneys and other service providers that you naturally collaborate with and invite them to bring their clients to attend this webinar. And I mean, as I say, it's just add water. There's three drivers to this. There's the ramp up where you invite people and set expectations. Then there's the execution. And Tom has got this down. And then there's a follow-up where you can send everybody a copy of Tom's book, Every Family's Business, digitally. You can archive the webinar and use that as an intellectual property. So you can send it to clients and say, did you miss it? Or do you know of a family member who you think would benefit from being exposed to Tom's message? It's turnkey. Just add water, stir in lime, good things are going to happen. That's a $5,000 investment. And the vein of gold within your existing business, the amount of advocacy and referability throughout the family trees of your clients, And the deepening of your relationships with your strategic partners, the ROI will be like you've never seen. And then, of course, if you want to consider down the road in person, Tom, the same bumper to bumper process, ramping it up, inviting your clients and strategic partners, clients and prospective clients to an actual event where Tom will present. And really create predisposition and prime the pump for all of these people to start to understand the unmet needs that they have. And then behind that, a methodical process to deepen your relationship with your clients. At a minimum, do it yourself or consider the merit of virtual Tom or in-person Tom. And uh, with that, the beauty of this bundle, and let's move to the next slide.
2: It's 2 o'clock.
1: You don't need to reinvent the wheel because part of the deliverable, as part of our collaboration with Tom, is we're going to provide an actionable learning management system dashboard for your clients to use to bring all of this to life. And we'll explain what that looks like, and the Pareto Systems app, where we'll be sharing uh, concepts like this with you on a regular basis, uh, specifically as it relates to being attractive to business owners. So if you want to learn more, uh, just give us a call, send us an email, and uh, I encourage you to join Tom Deans on LinkedIn. Look for me as well. Uh, Tom and I are going to interact uh, consistently on LinkedIn and through our other platforms. But, uh, Tom, I, I knew this was going to be a pleasure. But um, as a business owner, you've lit a fire under me to start thinking around some issues that I've maybe put off. And I'm going to get on them. So I appreciate that. And uh, I hope this was a, a meaningful experience for
2: you as well. Well, it was, Duncan. It's always a pleasure, and uh, you're, you're very organized, you're articulate, and I think I know you share your, your uh, deep passion for this subject, and it, and it shows. Likewise.
1: Okay, so uh, thanks very much. We'll be posting this as an archive if you want to share this or if you want to go through and card some of the actionable ideas. And uh, if you want to know how you can deploy this To your own client base, just give us a call and we'll walk you through uh, the deliverables, either virtual or in person.
0: Love it. Thank you for listening to this actionable podcast. We also post from the field videos weekly on Duncan's LinkedIn and Pareto Systems YouTube channel. And we post everything we do on our homepage at ParetoSystems.com.